come now to the part of worship where we listen to the Word of God. And the good thing about the Christian life is we just don't pray making up stuff as we go along. We react and we respond to what we hear and what we see. And so when God gives his word, we want to pray and respond to the content, the substance of that word. And so as we go into the scripture reading this morning, listen to these passages. The first one I'm going to read is Hebrews 1, 2, and 3. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Through him he also made the world, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And that's where he is today. Revelation 1 says, Look, he is John writes, Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. In John 15, 26, the same apostle writes, When the Advocate comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Luke 21, 34 to 36. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and all the anxieties of life, and the day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon the, all those who live um, on the face of the whole earth. So be always on the watch. Pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. And our last passage is in First Thess 5.23. It says this, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. May God add the blessing to the reading of his word. This, uh, this Christmas season, you know I've been focusing on the difference between what the disciples and the apostles and the New Testament believers understood about the Christ child and focus on the Messiah and the role of the Messiah as prophet, priest, and king. And as I want to continue this, we still want to celebrate that because Christmas isn't over, as it were. Uh, we still are in that period where we celebrate Christmas all the year long. But I want to talk about <clears throat> after Christmas to, to move into the New Year's, I'm thinking about this particular message as we go 
back into the normal swing of call for us to understand. Leave us with this thought that this is a call for us to understand there's another coming of Christ. So I call this message the Messiah's second advent. And as we get into this, I begin by wanting to remind us that we are living between two advents. We're living between two kingdoms, as it were. We're on a journey one to another. And as we live between these two kingdoms, you realize that we really have dual citizenship. And the dual citizenship being here on this world, in this city of God, as Augustine would put it, on the human level. And then we have another journey, a destination. We're going to the city of God. And um, we have a dual citizenship. And understanding that that king who's coming again is part of the Jewish understanding of what marriage is all about. For in the Jewish custom, marriage has a two-part system. Mary was betrothed to Joseph and went back to live with her parents. When you are betrothed in that culture at that time, uh, they weren't ready to take off and leave the parents yet because the, once the betrothal was officially uh, set, then the bridegroom would leave and go back and prepare a place by, by building an extra room on his father's house or building a separate house. But after the house was prepared, he would come back and get the bride and bring her to the second part of the marriage ceremony, which is John 2, the celebration that the bride is coming into the home prepared. Likewise, Jesus came and he has betrothed you and me in salvation. Through the cross, Christ has redeemed us, committed us to himself, and we are his. We belong to him. We've been set apart for him. And now he said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. For my father's house are many, many rooms, and so uh, don't be worried. But I'm coming back, he said. I'm coming back to get you. And that will bring us to the marriage feast of the Lamb at home when, when we are back home with him. We live between two kingdoms. But when Jesus comes back, when Jesus comes back, that hope of, of his coming, so often we, we give a head nod to it and we, we understand it, we believe it, but we still live as though we're in this kingdom. And so the idea that Paul wanted us to understand in 1 Thessalonians. And if you want to understand more about the coming, 1 and 2 Thessalonians are all about uh, the return of Christ. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him, with them, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Well, we live between two kingdoms. And Jesus is preparing. Jesus is longing to come back to get us. But as he's preparing, waiting for the things to be ready for us to receive him here and then to go be with him there, uh, there's a whole lot of thinking 
theology that goes into this. And so if you read, go to the bookstores, if you go on the Amazon network, you'll, you'll hear a lot of books about the second coming. And the, the technical word is called perusia. And so you talk about the end times, you're talking about eschatological truth, when all that has been prophesied, promised, will be performed as Christ fulfills his word. But I'm not here to talk about the end times or the second coming as much as I am to think about some of the things that we are called to do as citizens of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Because at that time when he comes, nobody knows when he's going to come. Of that day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But what we do know is this, that in the meantime, we have Emmanuel. That no matter where we go, it wouldn't make a difference where we are. It wouldn't make a difference the time because today we walk, better said, he walks with us. Emmanuel, God with us. So as I think about this year and I think about the Messiah's second coming, I, I want to use this time, uh, this, this sermon, to open some uh, thoughts and to stimulate you to think about next year in light of eternity. But how can I use this year to prepare myself for the second coming of Christ? And, and let me tell you something else that's kind of interesting. Uh, if you go back in the book of Matthew... In the book of Matthew, this is a major, major topic because Matthew uh, 24, Matthew 20, uh, 23, 24, and 25, that whole chunk of Matthew has to do with getting prepared. And so Matthew 23 is about the Pharisees who had rejected Christ and who would not be prepared because Christ, again, begins to explain the prophetic woe. There are seven woes announced, pronounced against those who, those Pharisees and Sadducees who would reject the Messiah. And so Jesus begins to go teach his disciples about the end times. And when these things come, be aware. Be aware because the destruction will be like in the days of Noah he goes on to talk about <clears throat> there'll be false prophets. There's lots of things that are coming and people's love will grow cold. These are the marks he warns about as people turn away uh, from the Messiah, but as though there are those who will not be included, won't be waiting, looking for the Messiah, but there are those who would be. And so in Matthew 24, uh, Jesus talks about the, um, not only the signs of the end times to prepare his disciples for that, but then he goes on to tell these parables that <clears throat> there'll be ten virgins. And you know the story. There'll be the parable of the ten virgins. There's the parable of the talents. And then there's the teaching of the separating of the sheep and the goats. Well, the ten virgins. The parable of the ten virgins. All the virgins were in the kingdom of heaven, by which we understand the sphere of the Christian profession. And as these parables, uh, what Christ wanted them to understand is that 
yes, there is a calling. Yes, you are going to be included, but the experience of who were wise and five who weren't. And therefore, uh, as Jesus is telling them about this parable, the, the theme is be prepared. And so they all went forth to meet the bridegroom. They all had lamps, but some slumbered and slept. But all of them were waiting for them. They were waiting for the Messiah. As many people today, many Christians are in the same similar boat. But they, these virgins were all expecting Christ. But not all of them had been prepared because not all of them had oil in their lamps. Five of them were wise. And they took oil in their vessels. But the foolish ones did not. There are Christians today who don't have oil in their lamps. And their lamps being representative of the light, the fuel, the energy of the Spirit of God, the hope of the joy. There are a lot of Christians who don't have oil in their lamps. And at the crucial moment, the foolish virgins had to acknowledge that our light is gone. And sometimes that happens in the Christian life where you lose interest, you lose passion, and people just kind of rely on yesterday's grace or just I know the answer but there's no oomph, there's no fire there's no aliveness but <clears throat> when Jesus is coming the, the, the teaching is keep your lamp lit be prepared because he's going to come he's going to come and you know that hymn I know you know this hymn I know not when my Lord may come that night or noonday fair, nor if I walk the veil with him or meet him in the air. But I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Christ knows those who have their lamps lit, who have their faith on fire, and yet, <clears throat> when he comes back, he asks the disciples this question. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Oh, I came across this statistic. This is an old statistic, but I don't know how much would be changed. That if you look here in Geauga County, this is the statistics where you look at uh, the percentage that 43, 43.3% of people who live in your neighborhoods don't have any faith. There's no religious affiliation whatsoever. And yet we have here the Catholics are 33%, Evangelical Protestants 14, Mainland Protestants as 8.5. And, uh, and so what you hear is, what you see this in this graphic is there's a lot of people that are rubbing shoulders with you who are not prepared, with, don't have faith, no oil in the lamp. And the teaching is, again, Matthew 24, be ready. And our job is to help others be ready. So the question is, how, how, can, you, <clears throat> how can you keep your lamps filled with oil in 2021? And be prepared for the second coming. How can you keep alive in your faith? 
Because one of the things that we want to do here at Chesterland Baptist, my concern and your concern, is that you are prepared because when you're thinking about this kingdom that's going to come because you live among in, in two kingdoms with dual citizenship. And when the king comes back to bring you home, he's going to greet you. And you will hear his voice and you will see his if we are alive at this point and he comes, he'll call us all up and we'll all go together. But this experience of having hope in the returning Christ, faith in the, in the returning Christ, it's available to everyone. Everyone who simply calls upon the Lord Jesus to be Savior and Lord. But if you call upon Christ and you have new life in Christ and you have hope and joy and faith, all those things we celebrate in Christmas, uh, what we're saying is that you're seeking first a kingdom of, of heaven, not the kingdom of this world. And therefore, you have, you have definite distinct distinctions here as Christians because there's something that's true about you that's not true about those who don't have faith. And what is true is that you seek first, you value, you honor. The, all these things will be added. And that's what Matthew says. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added unto you. Really? Can, is, that, is that all you have to do is be kingdom-oriented and not worry about the world? Well, yes. As Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I won't need anything. I won't want it. I won't have any lack. I, God is faithful to those who are poor and beggarly and they won't be lacking bread. But if we seek first the kingdom of God, uh, if there's something involved with this idea that Jesus didn't say, you will find it. He says you will seek it. Now, what happens when you seek? What happens when you seek? You ever lose your cell phone? Last week I lost my cell phone. I thought it was in the car and the battery was dead. And, and uh, I went to the store and tried to call Sandy. Do you need something? And I, I shoot. So I came back home. Sandy said, well, you didn't find it? I said, no, call me. So she called me, but I didn't find it. So what I did was I went downstairs in the basement. I looked one room, another room. What happens when you lose something? You seek it. Where do you seek it? Everywhere. And that's the point of the that's the point of the passage. If you have faith to seek the kingdom, you're going to seek the kingdom everywhere. And what this means is you will have oil in your lamp to hold up to find out where is that cell phone. But it means that you're no longer passive. You're actively involved looking for the kingdom of God. Now, what is the kingdom of God? The Messiah who came to introduce salvation, to introduce grace, to introduce forgiveness. He brings these gifts that we open up. And as we open up, what we find is God responds to his word and when the child of God gets into the word of God, the word of God grows them up to a mature man or woman of God, and they see the Lord at work everywhere. And when you see God at work, when you see the kingdom on the move, 
what you see is God in action. This is Christians on the move. Daniel 11.32, be strength and take action. And therefore, Christian, you who are walking behind the Messiah, understand that you are in motion, moving to the God who is in action, and he's putting his kingdom everywhere. So we can sing a new song to the nations, and we can bring a new hope to the world. And therefore, you understand that this Messiah has really had an impact on your life and my life in the sense that he's brought us into the kingdom. We are of dual citizenship, but we are not double-minded. We are single-focused. And that's what uh, Billy Graham would talk about, that the Christian comes to understand that there is a king and the king is on the throne and that throne has no room for two kings. Therefore, you can't serve two masters. You will love one and not like the other, hate the other, but there's no room for two kings on a throne. And therefore, for us as Christians, we need to understand that in the year 2021, we have an issue of of who is going to be sitting on our throne. In the Krampus Crusade, Bill Bright would uh, teach us on campus. These many, 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 many generations of students have seen this illustration that for the non-believer, Christ is outside of their life and he's not on the throne, but self is on the throne. But then there are Christians who have asked Christ into their life, but Christ isn't on the throne Self is still on the throne and God is still part of his life, but there's a maturity where you understand that the Messiah is the Messiah. And he has exclusive rights to that throne. And therefore that that throne, that when Christ is on the throne and the kingdom is moving in action inside me, that there are things that God is rearranging in my life, in my mind, in my heart, in my emotions, then you realize that God is preparing your heart to go home. Well, this is 2021. And keep in mind that that little red dot, that little red dot represents the year. And we've been at this for a while. And not, we're not eternal, but we're going to be given the gift of eternal life. But when you think about 2021... I want you to hear a couple of things about what's going to happen this year for you. What this Messiah is going to do is he's going to do this. In this next 12 months, he is going to introduce to you as a master discipler, he's going to bring bring about circumstances, bring about people, bring about Uh, teachings and trainings he's got things he wants to introduce to you so that you can rearrange your life values and your so that you make sure he's on the throne but Paul would say it this way no eye has seen except Christ's no eye has seen nor ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived the things that God has got prepared For those who love him. These are the things revealed to us by his spirit. And the spirit searches all things. So as you think about next year. 
The Lord has got things prepared for you. People, events, surgeries, accidents, blessings, wonders, joys, all the great things that are going to take place. Understand the Lord is already ahead of us. And yet, <clears throat> we know, and 20, uh, this is, should be 2021, uh, from a, sorry, from 2021 to 2022, there you go. It says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. So in a year from now, we can look back at this year thinking, God had these things planned out all along. And we know that all these things that would take place in between 2021 and 2022 is that all things will work together for good. And therefore, I can be open to worship God, the good things, even if they seem to be not so good. But the idea is, God knows. God is preparing us. And therefore, us, in order for us to move into uh, this year with a real sense of faith, looking, seeking for him to be on the move in our lives, we should set some goals. And so I'm going to move off of the abstract to make it very practical for you. And as you set these goals, as we're going to talk about that at the servant leadership team meeting next month, I want to introduce it this way for us on a personal level, that one, whatever you call it, call it disciple making, call it uh, spiritual formation, calling it uh, uh, counseling, calling it personal growth, self-improvement. God wants you to grow this year, to be faithful and fruitful, to see him at work, where you talk about the Lord in a personal way, not a rational, not only in a cognitive, theoretical way, but you say, the Lord is teaching me. I am a disciple of Christ. I wake up morning by morning to listen as a disciple. But if you listen to Christ on a personal level, what's going to happen is there's going to be a settledness in your heart, a peace that passes understanding, a security that you understand that the, in the world you will have tribulation. In this, in this kingdom, things aren't right, but in the kingdom of heaven, things are made right. For that's why Christ came. For those who are not right, the unrighteous, to be made righteous by the one who is righteous. And so the changes that he brings about helps us grow, and that's our own personal maturity. The second thing is, as you continue to grow, uh, you move off of the sense of intake and reception to output and contribution. So you don't remain passive, you become more active and you seek to give back to the Lord and you seek to give back to the community of Christ and you become participating, uh, a participa uh, you participate in the kingdom. And therefore, not only do you have security in your relationship with Christ because of faith in the promises, but you have a service that demonstrates that God is on the move through you. And that means there's an interpersonal development that your relationships will begin to experience what it's like to have the kingdom of heaven 
live through you. Well, let me give you some goals. And you may know that in the, uh, in the business world, they're always talking about having SMART goals. And the SMART is just an acronym that says that your goals need to be specific. They need to be measurable. They need to have a behavior, action plan, and they need to be relevant to what you really want to accomplish. But they're all time-bound. This is kind of a standard thing in the industry, uh, many best practices about setting goals. I want to take those things and give you five of my goals. And, and these are spiffy goals. Uh, I did this last year, but uh, five gifts that you can give to yourself. And these are spiffy goals, so I spell spiffy, S-P-I-F-E. Uh, and these are the five goals. Put them on your, your hand, S-P-I-F-E, to remember these. Uh, these are some things that you can trust God to move and the Holy Spirit to work in your life to help you get closer to Christ and reveal the kingdom. What does the Holy Spirit want you to learn this year in these five areas? Well, here's the first area. The first area is as you get oil in your lamp, there are spiritual goals. And as you think about what it is that God wants you to learn spiritually, Things that the spiritual goals have to do with your relationship with Christ, things that you really want to know. So let me ask you this. If you had an hour with Jesus, and he would say, what would you like to learn? What would you ask him? What are you interested in? What do you want to know? Because it's your personal engagement and as you go through the New Testament there's lots of things as you see the, the men and women asking questions what questions would you ask of Christ good questions to think about and as you go into the spiritual goals you, you may be having questions about well I don't know much about the Bible I don't know much about prayer I don't know much about the end times. I don't know much about the promises of God. I, I would like to learn more about how to be led by the Holy Spirit. I would like to learn how to defeat Satan. I would like to learn more about the kingdom. I would like to learn. You can go on and on and on and on. But the idea is, what do you want to know? And for you to have a spiritual, personal development of understanding about salvation or to understand about how you grow in that relationship with Christ... But those realities of the promises of living water from within, if that's not true, that's an area for you to grow in. So what are the spiritual things you want God to do this year? And I would recommend that, one, you don't have a, an abstract goal, but you would, you would set your spiritual goals to focus on four things. And, and you can focus on, I want to have more uh, insight, I want to have a changed attitude. I want to have a change uh, in my understanding and my knowledge about the scriptures and my knowledge. And I want to have more skill. These are the four areas I always think about. Insight, attitude, skill, and knowledge. That you want to learn how to pray more. You want to learn how to minister and share your testimony 
to other people. You want to have uh, an understanding of how to do Bibles. These are all spiritual goals. So if you take a goal, I want to study the book of Isaiah. That's one of my goals. I've been camping in Isaiah for a while. But take a book and stay in that book for a month or two months until you really feel, ah, I understand this book. If it's growing in prayer, it's reading certain books, but you have certain things that you make a goal and then make them short term. Don't make them a year-long goal. Make them one month or two months, six weeks, because they understand that you'll forget after your, it's not like a New Year's resolution. But go on to the second thing. The spiritual goals are physical goals. What are the things that you want to do this year to have Jesus help you physically by that it could be sleep it could be nutrition it could be losing weight it could be exercise but the idea that you have a plan to do something on a regular basis I'm going to take a walk in the neighborhood for 30 minutes three to five times this week you set your physical goals and it could be it could be any number of things that would be fitting not just personally physically it could be your your environment it could be you want to clean your house and take a room of your house and physically work on your environment or your, uh, your, your one room each month. And so as you go through the, maybe more than that or whatever your, your goal is. But you want to go through things to think about the actual world you live in. The third, third area is the intellectual goals. This is your mind. It could be improving your memory. It could be learning about uh, certain topics. It's, it's becoming stimulated uh, in terms of your reading, in terms of your study, in terms of your uh, understanding of history. Anything that you can do to increase your, your ability to understand or engage in the world. There are some intellectual goals you may want to think about. Reading four books this year. Reading one book this year. Um, intellectual goals. The fourth goal that you might want to think about how the kingdom can come in and you can seek this kingdom is in your relationships, in your family and in your friends. And this again is an, a, a one where you seek to contribute as you connect and engage and listen. Oh, certain goals to say, I'm going to be more patient. Give me patience right now. And, uh, or you're going to say, I want to listen better. I want to listen more deeply. But as you move into these relationships, you may think of people at work. You may think of people in your neighborhood. But you think about that circle of 12 people. And I would, I would encourage you to think about a, limiting a group of 12 men and women that you're thinking about ministering to. These become your family and your friends you want to encourage and pray about they become the focal point of your ministry and then the last thing is you have family and uh, you have economic goals you have financial plans that you want to think about how how you want to uh, monitor or manage your money you want to think about what kind of uh, things that you want to save up for or give to all of these things you can evaluate in light of the fact that God could be using these very things this year to show you, to teach you, to train you lessons about his kingdom, how it works.
I want to encourage you to do uh, one thing that I normally don't do this. I normally don't use devotional material. But one I found, I thought, this is quite good. Uh, this is called Disciplines for the Inner Life by Bob Benson Sr. And you can get this used on the internet. It's pretty cheap. And, uh, but, but this is a treasure chest. Uh, this is one to specifically develop your devotional life, your personal life, as you go into um, 2021, to think about, I want to grow personally, spiritually, and learn how to discipline my devotion on a regular basis. Jesus went out every morning, Mark 135, to spend time with his Father. To have a regular pattern of meeting with God, to pray about these five goals, to talk about people you care about, to think about what the Lord wants to teach you. And if you want to live, if you really want to grow and make this a profitable, fruitful year, you want to live richly, relationally, deepening in your relationship with Christ, then you have to take this adventure of developing yourself on the inside out. Honestly taking a look and say, Lord, okay, I don't know how to handle this. Would you help guide me into the truth? And so as you do this, you understand that Emmanuel is with you. The Holy Spirit is going to guide you. And as, as the Father is going to reveal Christ in you, you're going to have these things on a personal level. And so this is your personal development. But for us as a church, corporately, we're thinking about what kind of contribution you can make. So I'm going to ask you again, do you remember those five color bars? Can you, uh, five color bars. These are the things that we want to get back to the basics as a church, as a whole, that corporately, Chesterland Baptist, we want to give ourselves to this, uh, these five things as our anchor. Can you remember what the five color bars are? For those of you at home, <laughs> you're going, you're looking at each other, waiting for the other person to prompt. Here they are again. And, and I, I expect you to memorize these things, to be fluid, to be able to explain these things. But you want to be Christ-centered here at the church. This is his house. We're about his business. And therefore, it's not about me. It's not about tradition. It's not about American Baptists. It's about Christ. And as we think about the revelation, that that which we have, that this book, uh, the Bible, then becomes our authority. And the way we look at life is we don't look at life as, as this is me and this is the Bible, where I'm above the Bible, but we look at it this way, where the Bible becomes my authority on which I base my understanding because it's a revelation. There's no other book like this book. And so to get to know the book, you understand that we are given, we are given to be a learning community to understand the Bible well. And the focus of that is the redemption, the gospel ministry, that you can be restored in a relationship as a sinful person who's been separated from Christ. Christ comes and gets you, brings you back into the kingdom and restores you and me and others to have that faith, hope, and joy. And all of that is through relationships. All of that is relational thinking. All of that is relational connecting. All of that is learning how to love people better. That's what we want to do as a, as a group. And so let me leave you with this. 
as we look at this year coming up and we see ourselves facing the universe and the Lord seeking us back, looking back at us, we, you, we understand that you have Thaya means that you have faith in the Messiah. You have faith in the coming, that he's going to coming back. He's coming back for you, for you and for others. But following the Messiah means that you identify with the kingdom value system. That you're going to be stamped by the Holy Spirit and the way you think as a dual citizen, you're going to think kingdomly with a messianic mind. Following the Messiah means that your identity with others, those who are also called into the fellowship, you become committed to the church fellowship. You become committed to those relationships that if God calls to go deep, uh, it, you move off of And as you learn how to fellowship and grow deep, uh, it, you move off of a, a privatized to a corporate sense that we are the body of Christ. We are the church of Christ. Following the Messiah means that you are, include, you are included uh, as part of this process to offer hope to those who don't have hope. And therefore, as you move out in relationships, God wants to use your life this year to touch other people with the gospel of Christ. The Messiah, the Messiah calls, and we are to respond, all of that, in faith this year. And as you do so, as you share your testimony, as you share your story, and as you invite other people to ask, answer that question, who do you say that I am? Then as you share the, your faith with another person, then, then they can understand Christ and they too can become born again. They too can have new life in Christ. And as the two of you go off to share those two sharing with other people, then the two become four. I would encourage you this year, invite you to this year with this challenge. If you've never led anybody to Christ, if you've never asked any of your friends to accept Jesus, ask that God would use your life this year to lead one person to Christ. So I invite you to become a fisherman, a one who's putting oil in somebody else's lamp, one who's going to influence others for the kingdom. But I would invite you to think, God, use me to reach one person for Christ. Whatever that means, whatever training, whatever faith or courage you need, ask God to give you that so that you can be seeing God at work through you. And then as you do that, the four start to share with other people and they pick up as you pass on what, what the Great Commission is that you teach others to obey as Christ has taught you to obey. Then those four become Eight and the eight, you see where this is going. And then all of a sudden, you've got the book of Acts where the word multiplies. And as the word multiplies, you see Geauga County being affected. And those 43.3% who don't have faith, some of them will come to have faith in Christ. You see, as we grow getting ready for the second kingdom, uh, the second coming of Christ, we are also preparing others to get some oil in their lamp. 
We live between two advents. We live between two kingdoms. And our requirement, our simple way to do that is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. By seeking his kingdom in those five spiffy goals, or wherever <clears throat> we want to grow personally, but also to seek his kingdom as corporately we grow. And that way, this year, at the end of this year, we'll look back and think, wow, God had all of that planned. I believe that. I know whom I have believed. And know that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. So commit your goals to him. Let him develop you this year. This is the Messiah's year. They're all the Messiah's year. But as you follow the Messiah, may he work in your life. Let's pray. Father, we know it's by your grace. It's by your spirit. It's by this invisible hand of the, of the, of the Holy Spirit that comes into our hearts and teaches us what life is in Christ. And so, Father, we look to you and we say thank you for we have been called by the shepherd. And as, as the virgin who's watching and waiting, we also want to be working for you. And so, Lord, would you use this year to develop your church, help us grow and reach out with the gospel of Christ. And again, Father, we look forward to seeing you and give us that sense of your, your coming is urgent and real. Again, Father, it's to your glory and for our growth we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.